Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to all the episodes. I am odd in that I have gotten an increase in listenership over the lockdown instead of a decrease, which most people have experienced because, I guess, people aren't into just sitting in their houses listening to the podcast, except for you guys, and thank you for that. So, I want to talk about something very inside baseball today, and that is something that you may have heard of floating around the internet as an anime fan, but gets relearned constantly because, believe it or not, the average age of most anime fans, especially in America, is about two years. And so, if you get into anime, say, in middle school, you might be done with it by high school. Now, that may differ. That's like a generalization. And often anime fans are super young. And the reason why that why I want to talk about why I want to talk about it is because it's from the period of time when I first got into anime and I have been bouncing around in the anime internet for decades at this point. So I wanted to share some personal stories and some other stuff about what I've come to know as the crash of the the anime crash of the late 2000s. Although lots of people probably know it by the name of the anime bubble burst. Just for a couple seconds here, let's talk about some economic bullshit. And it's, it has a purpose, I promise. Basically, when somebody says a bubble, like you probably heard of the dot-com bubble or the housing bubble is the big one people like lord over you. It means that an entire section of a consumer good of some kind is in an inflation an inflated important is in a period of inflated inflated importance. So what that means is that a whole bunch of money is going every which way inside of this what people call vertical in advertising. And it's just a big old fucking party, for lack of a better term. If you want a great explanation of what a bubble is, probably go watch a movie called The Big Short. It's about the collapse of the housing market in the mid-2000s in America. And it's about the people who saw that coming and shorted the housing market and became, like, became uber-rich off of people's misfortune, not because they necessarily wanted to be right, but because they were smart enough to be right. But that's basically what a bubble is. Now, I want to take you through some... The, the way I got into anime, which is probably very different than you, the way you got into anime, because, once again, I am old in terms of an anime fan. I'm not old in terms of a human. I'm only old in terms of a human if you go by the Japanese definition, in which case I'm over 30, which means I'm a dust person waiting to blow away in the wind. The way I got into anime was I saw it on late night television in at least in the very early 2000s, very late 90s, somewhere around there. My first encounter with an with something that I recognized as anime was actually Princess Mononoke 
And then from there, I thought out other things that included Ronroni Kenshin, things that included Pilot Candidate, which is not a great show, but it has a nostalgia factor for me, so my brain is poisoned when it comes to it. <laughs> um, and put, notably, Pilot Candidate never actually finished. <laughs> like, the, it just never got the funding for the rest of it, so that, that's a weird thing. But... Something that happened to me when I was in high school was I got a taste of a dying art form of fandom, which is tape trading. Basically what I mean is uh, if I had a VHS tape that somebody wanted to watch, I would trade it to them for a VHS tape I wanted to watch. This happened not only with tape, but with manga. And after a certain point in time, I was no longer trading directly with somebody. I was trading manga volumes not with my friend, but with her older sister, who I would later meet in high school. So her older sister was always a grade above me. I would <laughs> borrow, I think, the thing I would dream with Love Hina, which harem trash poured in my eyeballs. I didn't care. I almost got in big trouble for reading it in the middle of the school day, like under my desk. And my teachers would be like, this is, this is definitely fucking porn. You should... You should not do this. And if you do this again, we're putting you in detention. I'm like, okay. I So I was trading volume back and forth. And when I first started getting into anime, anime was still, was still relatively odd. It was still bizarre. Over time, it exploded. And exploded for a bunch of different reasons. And I'm going to get into, A, how it exploded, why it got so big and why it just dropped off the face of the earth by say you know definitely by two like the mid by the late 2000s it like it was a it was a total shit show in terms of the industry for a bunch of different reasons but one of the reasons why it got so big was because there was a organ there was like a push from the japanese from the tourism board of japan basically called cool japan and cool japan pushed basically any japanese pop culture thing to get it in front of everybody they could as a attempt for tourism because if you don't know much about japan's economic history the 90s were not great for them and the reason for that is a bunch of things but primarily it was because in the 80s they inflated their own currency which means that they tried to make the yen worth more than it was actually worth, and they did it through the pricing of very expensive import electronics. And that all fell apart, and it fucked up Japan's economy. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Cool Japan was about promoting Japanese pop culture, which meant anime, Japanese rock music, um... Japanese street fashion, think something like that book Fruits, which was something I owned when I went to pre-college classes in FIT for fashion design. It was a general idea of, like, let's, let's pitch Japanese pop culture as cool. And anime, of course, came across with that. That's how you have, like, the Shinzo Abe is super into... Rosin Maiden, I think, was something that came out of that, which is a weird fact. But 
Cool Japan was definitely like a government funded like look at this cool pop culture shit and anime got stuck in with that. So at this point I want to talk about what I'm going to call licensed packaging or licensed packages. And what that mean and this was really in at least my opinion where the industry started to fuck up. And what I mean by that is it started to push to push again demand with more supply than what needed. And with that what I mean by license packages is let's say you are let's say you're Genion. Which if you never heard of Genion, they're a now defunct, however very fairly successful for a time. <laughs> Anime licensor. They are the people who originally licensed Paradise Kiss, which is why when I did my episode on Paradise Kiss, I said, I'm not sure you can actually find this because I was watching my original Paradise Kiss full set that had the Genion logo on it. So let's say you want Paradise Kiss, and they're like, okay, you can. we will sell you the rights to publish Paradise Kiss. But you have to take the rights for for Key Metal Idol, let's say, which is a very odd old show from the like late '80s, early '90s. You have to take the rights to Key Metal Idol as well. Let's say both. Let's say both of those shows were owned by the same by the same original company in Japan. So. What's the company to do? They they want the thing they know is that they want Paradise Kiss, but they also have to take this weird ass, very lowly thing, Key Metal Idol. So the thing about anime in the early two thousands, late nineties was there was enough of there was a big enough demand where companies could say okay i guess i guess we'll take key metal idol so we can get paradise kiss and you'd get both shows you'd put both shows out and you would hope like hell that the profits from the selling of paradise kiss would make up for the profits you didn't make just putting key key metal idol out. Notab- uh, a kind of like tack on show that is pretty notable is a show called Air, which from what I could tell is a okay show, but it was not anything anybody really wanted to put out. But it came in that kind of package licensing deal with other with a bunch of other shows. So with uh, at least one other show that the American licensor wanted. So what you have here is you have companies trying to make smart licensing companies trying to make smart choices about what they're putting out into the anime market, and the, the Japanese companies saying, "Okay, but have you heard of this possible trash fire that we that we can't." license that we fully know won't necessarily license by itself but if we package it with something you want 
we know you'll pick it up. And that's that was kind of the first that as I, like I get it as I understand it, that was one of the first like dominoes, if you will. Is these licensed packages meant that companies like Funimation and companies like Genion and companies like ADV were all spending way more than they needed to to get a catalog a catalog they might want. The thing about fun, uh, a company like Funimation and Funimation is really important because one of the only big licensors left at all. It's kind of the de facto until Crunchyroll comes along, which we'll get to them. <laughs> until Crunchyroll comes along, they're like the de facto licensor for many, many years. And, you know, Viz is around, ADV is a husk, shivering in the wind. All these licensors were spending all of this money for a catalog that was creeping up in quality, but also filling up in trash quality. They would put out these discs no one would buy, they'd end up in the bargain bin, but then they just wouldn't sell. So either they'd take the returns and the hit, or they would, or these discs would sit in, would sit in a bargain bin at an FYE, the only one that I know of is, that still exists is in Philadelphia in the gallery, which may not even exist anymore. That more or less led to a lot, a lot of inventory that people just weren't interested in. Not because they weren't good shows, but because they weren't these big marquee shows that were the things that made people love anime to begin with and why they wanted to continue watching. The thing that saved Funimation is literally Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z and later Full Metal. The juggernaut of Dragon Ball Z allowed them to take more risks and allowed them to absorb the failures of, of the licensing package scenario. Now the second thing I want to talk about, the, and the second thing I want to talk about is very important, is anime piracy and the arrival of torrent culture to the world. Torrent culture, lots of people think, when they think about torrents, they think about music. Specifically, they think about the Beatles, because the Beatles catalog was held by Michael Jackson for up, right up until he died. And if you can remember, I think it was back in like the mid mid two thousands, actually, actually late two thousands, um, maybe actually even two thousand ten or something. iTunes all of a sudden got the right to rights to the Beatles catalog because then Michael Jackson's family trust was like selling it to all takers, and. That was a huge deal because until then, the only way if you were listening if you were listening to a Beatles song on your MP3 player up until that point, you had most likely pirated it. You'd most likely found a torrent of the White Album and gone nuts. Now that didn't just happen to music, though. It also happened to television and, in specific, in this case, anime. So back in the mid back in the late 2000s the range of shows getting getting licensed for release on DVD or laserdisc at this point were past VHS thank god although I still had a healthy collection of VHS because the video rental place was selling them for 10 for 10 and I got huge amounts of Ranma and huge amounts of insane weird shit for literally nothing 
Um, and I had a VCR at home, so it was fine. The rest of the things people saw at this point were actually fan-subbed, and you've probably heard the word fan-sub come out of, like, Jeff Sue's mouth, and he talked about dirty pirates and they should go to hell. But in reality, fan-subs are the reason why the licensing, the licensing of anime, like, the field is so wide now. But it's also what helped to crash the to crash the industry initially because, and this is true of manga now. It's less true than it was, but it's still fairly true. Specifically, anime companies are very cautious about adapting to new technology and the widening of the possibility for technology. And what I mean by that is, is when it became possible to stream long-form video over the internet. The first people to the door were not anime. Anime was still interested in the physical sale of a DVD, at this point it's still DVD, to you as a consumer. It was still interested in, here's 20, and we will give you four episodes or two episodes for $26. It was not interested in getting some share of some subscriber pie because that meant it would have to operate on less money and with less return on investment. That has changed because the subscriber pies are now numerous and much larger, but, and also because of fan subs, which basically what happened was fan subs would fill in the gaps of the shows nobody else was, that nobody was picking up for physical release. And those fan subs would those fan subbing groups would take serious pride and there'd be like big intergroup beefs. One of the ones that still exists, Horrible Subs, was one of the fan sub groups that did this. And back in the day they would literally translate episode by episode, try to get it out on its fixed schedule so you would know I could, every Thursday night I can go and get the new episode of, you know, Re Rio Rainbow Gate or some bullshit. I can't believe I just pulled Rio Rainbow Gate, the, like, titty-gambling bullshit anime out of my skull. What's wrong with me? Those groups would do this all over Torrents, and Torrent is basically, it's a collective file-sharing, downloading network. So you copy a file literally bit by bit over the internet in small chunks from everybody else doing it, until you have a full fu functioning file. When I tell you back in the day that you could get whole, you could get the whole of a 51 episode show, aka a record seven, over the internet if you left your computer on running a BitTorrent a BitTorrent program for, I think it was like a day on decent internet, you you could get. You could get a whole show for for essentially free, not actually free, but essentially free, which meant that you negated the sale of an entire box set of a Rekka Seven. You ne you negated either 150 bucks or 20 or you know like 26 bucks times however many discs you could fit, fit could fit 51 episodes on, and that would take that whole series out of play for one consumer. That happened enough times, and 
it devalued the idea of going out and buying, an- not just anime, but in this case, anime. Now, here's where I want to talk about Crunchyroll. Because everybody knows Crunchyroll by now. Everybody knows that Crunchyroll is like the place for anime kind of thing. Although there are a couple different services at this point. But the thing about Crunchyroll is that they didn't start as a legal streaming site. They started as an ele- as a way to wrangle all of the fan subgroups and put all of their stuff into one thing, into one place, and make it make it an organized make it the chaos organized. Because before Crunchyroll, you'd have to go to one of hundred one of hundreds probably sites that you knew of that might be up, might not be up to stream anime after you click through nine ads and, you know, hopefully you didn't get a virus. But once Crunchyroll came around, it became the kind of convalescing of where all the fan subgroups put their stuff. They would feature horrible subs, they'd feature all the, all the like, players of the day. Case in point, Crunchyroll was not a, a legal thing until they received a venture... I believe out of Washington D.C., they received a venture capitalist investment of like five of like five grand or something, with the caveat that they start using the venture money and they they were given enough to do this to license shows to actually go out and license things. And I remember the period of time when Crunchyroll was starting to license things and ramp up. It a the service the the site literally emptied out because at this point this is before it had an app and all this junk the service just emptied out and they posted a thing i believe on on their form that said considering that we've received an investment we are going to do what we always wanted to do which is legally licensed shows and the service changed and the service uh, it became a version of what it is now. And eventually they added manga and eventually... And for a long time before this, before, for, until very recently, they had another side of Crunchyroll that was devoted to Japanese and Korean, like, telenovela, live drama stuff that people used. I rarely did. I think I maybe watched, um... The first couple episodes of the live-action Great Teacher Onizuka on that, but that's about it. So at that point, they Crunchyroll is now is has shifted into from propelling the problem into being a licensor, and because they had all the people there already, they converted some amount of them to paying to paying to paying subscribers. And then they converted the rest of them to free subscribers, and the free program was ad-supported. And because the industry had bottomed out in terms of the value of anime, because you could go get it on the shady fucking internet, shady parts of the internet, you they had a lot of buying power. And they... My big, my biggest problem with Crunchyroll is that they preach that they're helping the creators, and that's not not true. 
but it's not it's not like it's significant and what helping the creators would be helping the studios be able forcing studios to function in a way where they pay their animators decently where they you know get them a meal or, or you know get them housing pay them more than two the equivalent of two dollars an hour that would be really helping the industry because you would have more animators who are more talented and weren't just doing it for the love because that's what you need to like sustain an industry. <laughs> but that brings me to kind of where we are now. And where we are now is in the middle of what feels like another bubble. In the middle of, you know, 40 shows a season. In the middle of, you know, all a massive amount of anime every season that is an opportunity to watch. And lots of people have been wondering, how the hell is this going to end? Because last time it did not end well. Last time it ended with the world of anime, like, massively shrinking extremely fast in a way that was bad for the industry and took the industry a lot of work and a lot of, like, trust and caution to the wind to get up back up to where we are now. Well, the sad part is is the world's on global lockdown, there's a pandemic and many of the shows this season have been delayed or moved to next year because the way that these shows get made is not like it's not the way you would imagine a TV show getting made. It, traditional network television show or even something like HBO gets made and finished before the first episode airs or at least uh, like a section of it does a large section usually like a half or a quarter of the show gets finished and aired the only thing that's the exception to that is the pilot episode if you look at something like Mad Men the pilot episode was made it was aired, and then the rest of the show was made and aired a full year later. <laughs> but the, the way that the anime industry works is they get the first four episodes done, and then they get the next four, and then the next four, and then blah, 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 on and on down the line. It's a daisy chain effect. If you want to see really how that works. My best recommendation would actually be go watch Shirobako. The like anime about the production about the production side of anime. And it it kind of lays out lays that out for you and it's very close to the wire. What that translates to is if a big shift in the way the industry has to work happens, like everybody has to work from home because of COVID nineteen it causes a delay in the chain and that's a domino that knocks down the one behind it and the one behind that and on down the line. And I... I don't think the anime industry is going to go away because everybody has to work from home for a while. But I think that it will change and it, it will calm the pace down so... We may not get as, like, 40 shows a, a season. We may only get 
20 or 15, but that will still be enough. Or even if it, even if it's like, we may only get 30 or, you know, 25, that will be enough. Because if you're thinking like, I'm watching all the shows that came out this, this season, you're crazy. I'm not slate. High slate. Um, but it's, it's got to be in a way that can sustain itself. Because the thing is, is that all of these shows are being produced and only a few of them will even be remembered or be, you know, deemed as worth your time. And how do you find out about the rest? How do you find out about, you know, the obscure great show? How do you find out about listeners unless some, your podcast buddies tell you about listeners? You know, it... I don't think that this is a great way to slow down a bubble. Believe me, it's terrible. But I think that this will give the industry room to breathe and give people and give people room to get the work done because that's what needs to get done. And will it still be really close and like on a Raider's Edge? Absolutely. That's the way the industry is set up to run. But it won't be it it won't ramp up to the level that was in the late 2000s where there's licensing packaging going on for shows that nobody wants to see because of the way streaming licenses work and of the way you know the industry has changed i think we're in a good i think we're in a good place and i think we're in a good place where it won't get that out of control for a while which is good so on that weird note, I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. If you like this episode, the normal Lunchbox Radio episode goes up every Thursday, and the Sunday Edition obviously goes up on Sunday. But you can also subscribe to this podcast to get both versions in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. And if you like it, and if you still like it a lot, and if you still like it even more, you can give me a five-star review on iTunes or whatever you're using to listen to me right now. But until next time, I've been Alex, you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Thursday.